Amen. Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Amen. And now let us look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, page 933 in the hymnal. Page 933 on the right-hand side, lower right, chapter 23 of the Civil Magistrate. The Westminster Divines, section 1, write the following. God, the Supreme Lord and King of all the world, hath ordained civil magistrates to be under him over the people for his own glory and the public good. And to this end hath armed them with the power of the sword for the defense and encouragement of them that are good, and for the punishment of evildoers. Section 2. It is lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate when called thereunto, in the managing whereof, as they ought especially to maintain piety, justice, and peace, according to the whole, excuse me, according to the wholesome laws of each commonwealth. So for that end, they may lawfully, now under the New Testament, wage war upon just and necessary occasion. Section 3. Civil magistrates may not assume to themselves the administration of the word and sacraments, or the power of the keys of the kingdom of heaven, or in the least interfere in matters of faith. Yet, as nursing fathers, it is the duty of civil magistrates to protect the church of our common Lord without giving the preference to any denomination of Christians above the rest in such a manner that all ecclesiastical persons, whatever, shall enjoy the full, free, and unquestioned liberty of discharging every part of their sacred functions without violence or danger. <clears throat> and as Jesus Christ <clears throat> hath appointed a regular government and discipline in his church, no law of any commonwealth should interfere with, let, or hinder the due exercise thereof among the voluntary members of any denomination of Christians <clears throat> according to their own profession and belief. 
<clears throat> excuse me. <coughs> it is the duty of civil magistrates to protect the person and good name of all their people in such an effectual manner as that no person be suffered either upon pretense of religion or of infidelity to offer any indignity, violence, abuse, or injury to any other person whatsoever, and to take order that all religious and ecclesiastical assemblies be held without molestation or disturbance. And then finally, section 4. It is the duty of people to pray for magistrates, to honor their persons, to pay them tribute or other dues, to obey their lawful commands, and to be subject to their authority for conscience's sake. Infidelity or difference in religion doth not make void the magistrate's just and legal authority, nor free the people from their due obedience to them, from which ecclesiastical persons are not exempt, exempted. Much less hath the Pope any power and jurisdiction over them in their dominions or over any of their people, and least of all to deprive them of their dominions or lives, if he shall judge them to be heretics or upon any other pretense whatsoever. Amen. Now there's a lot there, and we're not going to unpack it all, but I do uh, want to talk to you about the Christian's relationship to the civil magistrate. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul commands us as Christians that in the light of God's grace and work in our life and the work of the gospel in our lives, which he says is the power of God unto salvation for us who believe, uh, that we not be conformed to this world, but we are to be transformed uh, by the renewing of our minds in order that we might know and prove the perfect will of God. Now, having said that, Paul goes on and exhorts and teaches the Roman Christians how to live in the church. Then, after teaching how to live in the church, he teaches on interpersonal relationships with others in society at large, including dealing with those who sometimes persecute believers. And that's found uh, in verses 9 to 21 of Romans 12. Paul then exhorts the church, then having dealt with matters in the church and then matters of the church with the neighbors that we have, then he deals with how do we relate to uh, the state as believers. And here he talks about that in Romans 13, governing authorities. Now, there may well have been good reasons for Paul to make this section part of his application, according to John Murray in his commentary on the epistle to the Romans. What would some of those reasons be? Let me give you a few of them that uh, Murray and others cite. First of all, uh, there was uh, debates within Judaism. Jews had questions and arguments, debates regarding the rights of the Roman government. And therefore, that meant that there were debates as to whether they as Jews should pay taxes or not. And you see that in the Gospels, how they even tried to ask Jesus that question to come down on one side or the other. And you remember, boys and girls, how Jesus said, well, you know, show me a coin. And he said, whose likeness is on this coin? And they said, well, it's Caesar's likeness on the coin. He said, well, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Uh, 
But in addition to those ongoing debates within Judaism, uh, we also, in John 8, verse 33, the Jews said to Jesus that we are Abraham's sons. We have never been enslaved to anyone. And how can you say, I, Jesus, will set you free? So there was also, we see, an independent spirit within uh, many uh, in Judaism. Thirdly, there were insurrections in Jesus' day and in that first century among the Jews against the Romans. In Acts chapter 5, in verse 36 and 37, we have the speech by Gamaliel when they were trying to figure out what to do with Peter, John, and others uh, whom they arrested in the temple because they were preaching Christ and they were blaming the death of Christ upon the uh, authorities uh, there at the temple. And in that speech by Gamaliel, he notes um, that there was a man called Thudas, T-H-E-U-D-A-S, who rose up with 400 men, and in the end, it, that revolt came to nothing. You have Judas, we are told in that same speech, of Galilee, not the Judas who betrayed Jesus or the Judas who was the good disciple. This is a different Judas. Uh, this is Judas of Galilee who rose up in a revolt against the Roman Empire, and he too ended up perishing, we're told. So there were debates as to the relationship between Israel and the Roman Empire. Uh, there was a spirit of independence among many of the Jews. There were attempts at insurrection by some of the Jews. Fourthly, we see that in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, that Claudius, the Roman emperor, had commanded the Jews to depart from Rome. So there was some enmity there on the part of Rome towards the Jews. Now you say, but what does that have to do with the Christians? We have to understand in this early stage of the church, Christianity often was associated with Judaism. Mostly, it was mostly Jews who were the, the first converts. Now later, uh, you know, and quickly, Gentiles begin flooding into the church and begin outnumbering the Jews, but it still had an, an association. It was viewed as a sect of Judaism for in the eyes you know, of people who weren't really familiar with Judaism or Christianity. So any seditious behavior by the part of the Jews might be imputed to the Christians. You can see why this would be something Paul, therefore, wanted to be particularly sensitive to with regard to his letter to the Roman Christians and how they were to relate, uh, lest they be tainted as seditionists. Also, Paul also knew uh, of some Christians who were distorting their liberty in Christ and their notion of freedom. He addresses that in other epistles. They were turning the liberty of Christ into the license, and that had to be opposed. And then finally, Christians often were suffering at the hands of civil authorities. Um, and so you have to remember, this epistle was written, we think, about 10 years uh, before Nero. So we are heading into a, a time of, of difficulty and persecution for the church. Christians needed to know what to do for the sake of Christ. Can they disobey the civil magistrate ever? And if so, when? When do they obey God? And when, also for the sake of Christ, do they obey the civil magistrate? So there, there were these questions of particular pastoral concern 
for um, Christians as they related to a state that was at times hostile to many of them. (coughs) So what I want to do is, first of all, talk about the origin of civil government, (coughs) the origin of civil government from a biblical perspective, and then also uh, the nature and the purpose of civil government, um, as well as the godly uh, subjection to such authority when, when it is lawful to do so here. So first of all, look at verse 1 and 2 in your text. Verse 1 and 2. Paul says every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. That's good old Calvinism right there. God is sovereign, and nobody has anything except from God, okay? Okay. Uh, and God is in control, and whoever God wants to be the president of the United States at the end of this year, guess who's going to get elected? It's, that's going to be the person that's going to be put into office. Paul goes on, however, from that principle of sovereignty. He says in verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So we find here that there is, first of all, the command to submit to the governing authorities. Or if you grew up on the old King James, it was translated the higher powers. This means the civil magistrate. Now, first of all, we have the exhortation. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, period. The general duty and principle for Christian men and women and boys and girls Uh, For those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, the general duty and principle is what? Be in subjection to lawful authority. Christians are to be under due authority because this authority is from God. Now, the civil magistrate does not just serve the Christian. It serves the Christians and the non-Christians. But our conversion to Christ does not nullify our duty to earthly rulers. Jesus himself subjected himself for the sake of righteousness to civil magistrates, even though Jesus himself was king of kings and lord of lords. And yet, what did he do? He subjected himself to Pilate. He could have called down myriads of angels and to say, this is court is null and void because I'm king of kings and lord of lords, and I am innocent of all these charges, and we're done here. But he doesn't do that, does he? he? He told Pilate that he was a king, indeed, but he was a king with a kingdom that is of another world. He said, if my kingdom was merely an earthly kingdom, my people would be fighting and taking up arms, but as it is, um, they are not. And you, Pilate, uh, you say you have the authority to put me to death. You would have no authority except it is from my heavenly Father. So he submitted himself, uh, even to the point of death, at the hands of Pilate. Christ's kingdom was not of this world. Now, Paul's first argument to support this exhortation is one of origin. Notice here he says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Then notice here why, on what basis. He says, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. 
So he is saying here, in a sense, that our duty to submit to the civil magistrate, to the civil authorities, is because these authorities are ordained by God. All authority, even wicked rulers, even dictators, even communists, and even corrupt uh, men, they are the ones that are a part of God's ordained plan. And they are the ones that we are to be in subjection to for the sake of conscience. God is in complete control in politics. He is not Lord only of our individual lives and our family and our church. He is Lord over local politics here in LaGrange, Troop County, over the state of Georgia, over national affairs and international affairs. Everyone from the Troop County Sheriff all the way to the president are ordained of God. In Romans chapter 9, verse 17, we read this, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I, that's God speaking here, boys and girls, I, the Lord, raised you, little Pharaoh, up. I raised you, Pharaoh, up. I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. Who's in control of Pharaoh? Who is it that softens Pharaoh's heart or hardens Pharaoh's heart? It's the Lord. Who ordained that Pharaoh should be the leader of Egypt? It is the Lord. The Lord is in control. King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. You remember that Nebuchadnezzar honored himself in his own heart. And uh, he said, man, look what I've done. I am, I am great. Um, I, am, I am so wonderful. I have made Babylon so great. And God judged him and said, quote, Sovereignty has been removed from you until, listen to this, until you recognize that the Most High, that is God, is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar, you need to learn this. You're going to eat grass for seven years until you learn that fundamental principle that we see here also in Romans 13.1. And as I said earlier, in John 19, verse 11, Jesus said to Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. And we need to remember that because we're in a political year. And so just keep in mind, when everybody's losing their head, God's in control, okay? You, you, you have your responsibilities as Christians, and I'm not diminishing those responsibilities, but God is ultimately in control. Now, because the origin of the civil magistrate comes from God, and some such as R.C. Sproul believe that the civil magistrate has its origins actually with the angel, with the flaming sword, after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, that God sent that angel with the flaming sword as a form of civil magistrate by which Adam and Eve could not back go back into the garden. God has ordained uh, this civil magistrate. Um, Now, because the origin of the civil magistrate comes from God, uh, ungodly rebellion against lawful government uh, is rebellion against God himself. It is against the ordinance and the institution of God himself. Um, So failure to obey civil authorities 
uh, ordinarily uh, is indeed to disobey the Lord. Now, applications. Uh, for example, I had to remind myself of this this morning on my way to church. Notice that my foot's a little heavy on the gas. I said, boy, you better back off, back off, because Zach Hall is somewhere out there. <laughs> and I don't want don't to get pulled over by Zach. When we fail to obey traffic laws and your conscience comes calling, remember the origin of those laws are rooted in God himself. Um, it is God who has ordained these uh, officers for your good and my good. Um, when we fail to pay our taxes honestly, uh, we are cheating against God himself. Uh, when young people make a false ID so that they can go drinking illegally, underage, out in uh, public restaurants and bars. They are resisting God who providentially ordained uh, those laws. So we need, to, we need to remember these things. These thi the, the civil magistrate has been established for our good. We are wicked and we are evil. Um, there, there's a, there are people out there who think that the state is inherently evil, and that is unbiblical. Um, the state is not inherently uh, evil. The state was created because of evil. Uh, this, the state had to be ordained because we are evil, and we need restraint. And when we fail to show self-control, we need family control, and we've we fail family control, we need church control, and if that fails, we need state control. And, um, you know, we, we have a relationship with the state. We're, we as a church are trying to help the state uh, by giving them less to do by what we do here. Um, but they sometimes have to help us uh, when we have a member who we can't seem to get back into line on the narrow path. So th th it is a relationship uh, that is both supposed to be serving the Lord, but we have different functions, as the Westminster divines point out here in these sections. They don't, the civil magistrate cannot tell the church uh, what we're supposed to do or who can come to the Lord's table. Um, and we also cannot take up the sword ourselves. Um, that is the prerogative of the state. I remember there was a Presbyterian minister many years ago when I first became a minister who... Um, took up the sword himself, and he killed an abortionist uh, in a parking lot, murdered the abortionist, and uh, was arrested and executed by the state of Florida. Um, he, he took up. Now, abortion, of course, is a great evil, uh, but uh, we, we do not take up the sword. That's not, that is not us. That is not our responsibility. Uh, that's a prerogative uh, that belongs to the civil magistrate. And, uh, and that man was uh, excommunicated for his views as well uh, before he was executed by the state. Now, in these verses, Paul does not elaborate on the qualifications to this command to be subject to civil authorities, uh, such as when should we not obey. Uh, Paul here is interested in laying down the general rule and the general principle 
since this is the ordinary rule for Christians. It is, I think, likely, hopefully, that most of us, if not all of us, will never have to meet a situation where we're going to have to disobey the civil magistrate. Um, I hope that that's something we never have to confront. Well, we may. Um, and we do need to know what do you know we do. Uh, but ordinarily, that is not uh, something that we have to confront. But, however, Paul, who wrote these in Romans 13, I think would agree with Peter in the book of Acts when Peter said, we must obey God rather than men. That is, to put it another way, there are times we must obey God rather than the civil magistrate. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Now, there are times to lawfully disobey for the glory of God. Uh, we may never, for example, sin against God in order to obey the civil magistrate. So again, we, we see this, uh, look at Daniel chapter 3 and uh, verse 8. Daniel chapter 3, and this is probably known to many of you here. And the state says, hey, everybody in the land is going to bow down to this statue. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 8. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over your administration. And he goes on and he said, they're not obeying you. So here's the situation that Daniel's friends would not obey the civil magistrate. The civil magistrate said, at the appropriate time, everybody's going to worship my idol. And uh, Daniel's friend said, no, we're not. And so uh, they did. They lawfully resisted. That would have been a sin. That would have been idolatry, boys and girls. For them to bow down and worship Nebuchadnezzar's statue would have been uh, idolatry. This is also what got the early church in trouble, um, was that they wanted the Christians to say, Caesar is Lord. And, they, and, and now, you know, you, you realize the Roman Empire did not have any problem with Christians worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? That's not what got them in trouble. What got them in trouble with the state is they refused to say Caesar is Lord. That's where the rub came as far as the state. Um, and, you know, you have people like Polycarp, who is 86 years old, and he is, you know, being threatened with death. And they say, come on, you're an old man. Just, you know, say Caesar is Lord. We'll let you go. You know, don't be obstinate about this. And he said, I've served Jesus my whole life. He's never done me anything wrong. And I'm not going to say Caesar is Lord. And Jesus is Lord. And, uh, and they put him to death. Um, so there are occasions we have to disobey. Another one that's interesting, I think, is Esther chapter 4, 
uh, verse 13 uh, to 16. This one's interesting because it's a little different here um, in that the Jews are about to be annihilated uh, because a decree has gone out uh, through Persia that the Jews uh, are to be killed. And you know the story, Esther has become queen and Mordecai is out at the gate uh, mourning and fasting. And, you know, he essentially says to Esther, Esther, look, you have to do something for your people. You, you have been born for such a time as this. And she says, well, you know, it's not lawful for me to go into the presence of the king unless I've been summoned. And, uh, and basically saying, you know, I'm, in, I'm supposed to be in subjection to the authorities. And I, this is one that's interesting because I think um, it's really arguing against like a sin of omission, rather. You know, not like Daniel's case where it was a sin of commission. Here it's a sin of omission. Mordecai says, oh, no, 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 no. You are not going to use uh, Romans 13 in this case. <laughs> no, 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 no. This, this matter is so serious uh, that if you do not go in and defend your own people, God will raise up deliverance from somebody else. Uh, you uh, are required, given the gravity of this situation, uh, you are required to go and speak to the king on this, even though he hasn't summoned you. Do you get that argument there? And, and so she says, okay, you're right. And, and so she goes in and, you know, thankfully the king extends the scepter to her and invites her to come in once he sees her standing in the doorway. But he could have, you know, taken her life for that. That was an act of disobedience um, in order to save her people here. So uh, Mordecai, I think here is, is showing us, you know, some of the limitations here uh, on Romans 13. Let me move us here uh, to the second part and that's in verses three through seven, the nature and the purpose of civil government. Um, it also mandates subjection. We, we are to be in subject to civil authorities because of the origin of that authority is from God. That's the first point. And the second point is also um, that uh, the nature and the purpose of civil government mandates a godly subjection on our part to such authority. Look at, uh, well, I just lost my place. Romans again. And verse 3, Romans 13, verse 3. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. So rulers are instituted by God for the purpose of punishing evildoers. God has ordained the civil magistrate to restrain the wickedness of the world. Now, you could say, but there are times when the government is not doing that and actually is promoting evil, uh, and that is another subject here. But ordinarily, a fallen world full of sin needs some kind of restraint, some kind of common grace institution to restrain the wickedness and as I said, therefore, civil government is not inherently evil. But rather, civil government is good, and it is ordained by God as good, and it exists, though, because of evil. The civil magistrate, notice in verse 4, is even called a minister in some translations. The Greek word behind that English word is diakonos. That's where we get our English word deacon. Uh, it is a servant of God. They are deacons who bring wrath upon wicked and lawless people. 
So notice that Paul states that the deacon of the state bears the sword. Now, the sword is not just a symbol of power, but remember that that is a, a weapon of capital punishment that brings death. Jesus said, live by the sword, die by the sword. The sword here indicates that the civil magistrate has been entrusted by God with the authority of capital punishment. So capital punishment by the state is not contrary to the New Testament when it is justly employed. And only the state has been ordained by God to bring this justice to bear. Individuals may not take this authority upon themselves as individuals. It is lawful, however, for Christians to become uh, uh, servants of the state. That is, it is lawful for you to run for office. If you feel like God is calling you to run for Congress, I heard that the seat is opening up this year, well then, hey, run for Congress. Um, that, that is a lawful occupation for Christians. Our Christian faith does not prohibit us from serving. Uh, remember that the Apostle Paul even said, uh, in his greetings, as he's saying, you know, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, and greet those who are in, you know, uh, in, I think it was at Nero's house. I forgot. I'll have to go back and look. But they, they, were, they were serving, you know, in, in places of authority here. So we see that it is okay. Jesus never told the Roman soldiers that they had to leave the Roman army uh, in order to follow Jesus Christ. <clears throat> The Christian, therefore, ought to obey the civil magistrate. But notice here that the Apostle Paul makes it clear in verse 5, it is not just so we escape earthly punishment, but it is also for the sake of conscience. That is, we are to be obeying the civil magistrate even when the civil magistrate doesn't see you. If the cop never sees you running the red light. God sees, and he's going to put pressure on your conscience because you are still not in obedience to the civil magistrate, even though the civil magistrate doesn't know it. Though that might be getting harder with cameras on intersections. <laughs> Notice that Paul says, for the sake of a good conscience. What is a good conscience? It's a conscience that does not accuse us uh, of evil. A good conscience, the Bible says, is better than riches. And a good conscience, in part, is obtained by obedience to the civil magistrate, even when the civil magistrate eye is not on you. And then in verse 6 and 7, we see the nature and the purpose of the civil magistrate require that we negatively avoid evil. I mean, excuse me, that more than that we just uh, avoid evil, excuse me. Look at verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. So here, our, our obedience to the civil magistrate is uh, also that we honor them and we support them by paying our taxes. We owe these deacons of common grace who restrain evil a portion of our income. Now, I know we can all debate about what the size of that portion is, but that's, again, another matter. Uh, but we are to um, see to it uh, 
that we support those who receive their livelihood by carrying out this work. Jesus said, render to Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and to God the things which are God's. Now, this may mean that tax money needs to be spent more circumspectly than it is. Calvin, John Calvin says that rulers should remember that they are, excuse me, should remember that they all that they receive from the people is public property and not a means of satisfying private lust. Paul says that we also must pay the civil magistrate veneration and honor, according to John Murray's commentary on page 156. We need to be careful as Christians not to fall into the American trap that disrespects the civil magistrate, especially if they are of another party. We are to honor them for the office that they hold. We are called as Christians not just to show respect uh, to the president or the governor or others in their presence, but in their absence as well. If for no other reason, it is because God is the author of the office and he is omniscient and omnipresent, and he is watching and listening.